Folks, I have never been great at sitting down and doing a bunch of research to find the right tag in the right state for the right species. That's why I rely on Eastman's Tag Hub. I don't know if you guys have checked it out yet, but Eastman's Tag Hub takes a trusted hunting research you rely on and have for years to a powerful new digital platform. You could jump in there and find the right hunting units in 11 different states and try to find the perfect tag to fit your budget and your goals. It's a great way to cut out all that external research that just gives you a headache and if you're anything like me, you just don't have the patience for it. Let them do the work for you. And the cool part about Eastman's Tag Hub is it's a monthly payment option. You don't have to pay some big fee to get into it. It starts at like seven bucks a month and it gives you access to everything to include access to the world famous Eastman's Hunting Journal magazines. It's a great deal, guys. Check it out at taghub.eastmans.com. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast, brought to you by Eastman's Hunting Journals. And I'm coming at you from the Broken Town Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Guys, I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, I've got somebody on, uh, and and uh, I, I I would say it is not coincidental with the time of year, but uh, I've got somebody on that I've been following for a long time. I've been uh, kind of watching and and uh, following his stuff on social media and whatnot for a long time, and he is somebody that is inspiring as a hunter he's very uh he's a very successful hunter and somebody who is passionate and loves to share his love for the outdoors he's a 10 times grand national turkey column champion and probably a lot more accolades uh folks welcome chris Parrish. how you doing brother i'm doing wonderful tonight buddy how about yourself pretty good man pretty good uh it is uh, i mean how can you not be it is turkey season it's that time of year, and uh, you know we're, I'm sitting here on, you know, pretty close to my back porch here in Missouri, and there was actually a turkey goblin about an hour ago out here, and uh, yeah, it, it's ready. It, we got about four more days, and it's going to open up, and it's ready to go. I'm I'm ready to go. Oh, so you guys, you guys aren't open yet, huh? No, we open up the 17th. 17th of April is our first day, and uh, you know we're already finding mushrooms. We have uh, we had 83 degrees today. Oh, you're kidding me. No, it's been absolutely outstanding weather. Uh, the fish are biting. It's just, you know, it's one of those special times of year for me. I, I love to hunt mushrooms. I love to catch fish and I love the turkey hunt. So yes, sir. other than elk hunting and whitetail hunting, you can't get a better time of the year for me. 
man, we are going to have so much to talk about. Uh, I mean, there's so it's turkey season is only open here uh, for for the youth hunters. So I've been taking my daughters. I've only taken them out a couple times, but the problem is, Chris, it's it's like still winter here in in a sense. It's, the snow is melting. We're starting to see see the ground. Usually, we're hunting for m- mushrooms right now. Uh, that's not happening yet. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> last year at this time, we had two turkeys down. Both my daughters had already tagged out, and uh, we were we were kind of moving on towards mushroom hunting. And but but this year, yeah, it's like the winter that won't go away, man. Are you from Missouri uh, uh, originally? Yes, I am. I've lived in Missouri my whole life. I was born and raised in uh, Paris, Missouri, which is. Uh, anybody that's listening from Paris, don't, don't hold me, hold this against me, but it's kind of a one horse town. It, when at seven o'clock at night, the red carpet rolls up and it's done. There's probably, I don't know what the population is now, but when I was a kid growing up, it was about 1200. So we had about four things in the world to do and three of them, you know, about which is hunting and fishing and hunting mushrooms and picking up night crawlers at night. And we won't talk about the other one. (laughs) It'll just be a secret. That's Um, right. (laughs) So I'm always interested. So that's, that's, uh, even, I, I live currently in kind of a one horse town, you know, we're, we're up here. I, I don't even know. We're, we're like not even 600 population wise. Uh, we're fully legit here, man. We even have a town drunk that has so many DUIs that he drives around. He basically from his house to the bar on a riding lawnmower because he can't sounds drive like, a car. Sounds like George Jones, buddy. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, uh, I actually thought he'd maybe, you know, gotten in trouble with his wife or something. She took his car keys like that, that, uh, country song, but nope, no, I got to, got to chatting with him at the bar and he's just had too many DUIs. So he has to drive the riding lawnmower. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's a shame. Maybe he should have started turkey hunting. He would have straightened himself out a little bit. That's what I'm thinking. I, I <laughs> love, I love comparing, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm kind of, uh, people look down on the whole redneck term, right? But I'm kind of a proud redneck man. And, and I like, I like to compare, just the cultural aspect of that from like, I'm in North Idaho, you're in Missouri. I used to live in North Carolina and that's a whole other breed of rednecks. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just interesting regionally how that changes and shifts and and whatnot. So, um, well, I'm glad that Dirk, uh, hooked us up. You know what I did, Chris, is I, I, Dirk asked me, um, he's like, man, you should get Chris Parrish on. And uh, I'm like, yeah, man, I, I, I reached out to him like a year ago and he never responded. And so I went back and looked, man, I, I reached out. It was some other dude named Chris Parrish. Who's not even a hunter. Um, so <laughs> you probably got, you probably got the, the, uh, skier, the, or the, uh, the, 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 uh, water skier. There's a water skier, Chris Parrish. That's, that uh, might've been it. That, yeah, that might've been it. probably not interested know. on the hunting aspect of things. I don't yeah. Know. I, I, I'm not thinking so. Cause it, it, I, I don't <laughs> even know if he got the message. Um, so, <laughs> so all this time I was like, man, Chris is ignoring me totally, but nope. Yeah, I would never do that, brother. I like to talk. About <laughs> well, that's good. What? So, I mean, outside of, uh, Chris, outside of like growing up in Missouri and oh. you know how that, that small town element of, of your life kind of usually lends itself to people just, you know, growing up as hunters. Kind of tell us what hunting is to you and, and how it came to be, uh, you know, with your lifestyle now. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to go way back here. So I'm going to kind of go back to my roots. Um, 
as a kid growing up, um, my grandfather, uh, Howard Parrish, we called him Nub. Well, he was called Nubs. I never called him Nubs. I called him Howard. He, he wasn't even grandpa to me. We called him Howard my whole life. Everybody did. My whole, my cousins, everybody called him Howard. He was a gun collector, a gun nut. Uh-huh. Um, uh, when he passed away, he had uh, somewhere around 200 long guns and just shy of 300 pistols. So he was a pretty major gun oh, collector. My kind wife. of guy. I mean, he was, yeah, he was a major gun collector, uh, a, a huge trapper. Now, he was a hunter, but he was a huge trapper. Uh, and, you know, anybody that traps, uh, the nuances that they can bring into the hunting aspect are way beyond what I think even hunters can bring to it because trappers are even more in tune with what animals are doing. You like, you got to actually like figure out where they're going to put their foot at. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I learned, I learned so much from my grandfather and then my, my dad, you know, my, my dad and, and my dad's going to be 84 this J- J- July. And, and so thankful that I still have him in my life. We play golf together. We, we still hunt together. I, I've taken him on several hunts. I've taken him to Canada. I've taken him to Kansas and just, you know, just been able to share so much time. My mom is still around. So just blessed to have, you know, my family in my life still to this day. But my dad and my grandfather got me into hunting and shooting when I was very young. Um, I think I was uh, eight years old, nine years old when I killed my first deer. I was 12 years old when I killed my first deer with a bow mm-hmm. uh, and 12 years old when I killed my first turkey with a bow. And ironically enough, I killed it with a recurve bow that I actually still own today that the sheriff of Monroe County, where I grew up in Paris, Missouri, gave me, which was uh, it's a 1973 um, Bear Super Kodiak. Oh, yeah. 45 pounder. And so, you know, a lot of history there, you know, in, in the making of all that. And I, I grew up in that, that hunting outdoors shooting family group that, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, one of the fun things we did was just to go out and shoot. I mean, we'd shoot 22 rifles, we'd shoot high powered rifles. We would, you know, and I just grew up with that and I just took a love to it. I, lo- I took a love to the outdoors and it wasn't just about killing an animal. It was about understanding what was going ar- going on overall, you know, um, early on catch and release fishing. You know, we, we, my dad taught me how to bass fish and taught me how to catfish and we catch big catfish and we catch big bass and we release them. And, and then, you know, the, the trapping aspect, my grandfather was a, uh, he loved to trap muskrats and, and, uh, of course, you know, when you trapped, you, you, you harvested the animal, but ha, you know, my, gra- my I, grandpa I, trapped muskrats too, man. Love it. And, you know, I, I learned from that and, and I just, it was just one of those things where I just like took a love for the outdoors overall of every aspect of the outdoors. And I felt like at an early age that that was just something that I wanted to do in my life. I wanted to be involved in it. I wanted to have a, a job in it. I wanted to work in it. I wanted to, I wanted to be an everyday part of my life, so to speak, that I, I could live it and breathe it and see it and touch it and feel it every day of my life. And I just, I just wasn't going to let go of that. And literally from the time I was 17, 18 years old, um, I just never let go of that. And I can, you know, I, I mean, I, I own a, a game call company. I, I, I say a game call company. I work with Phelps and meat eater. I build their call. I help build their mouth calls, help 
mm-hmm. work on things with them. And I just, I love every aspect of the outdoors. I love, I love the hunting. I love the fishing. I love sharing it with my family. I love teaching them about, you know, not just the harvest of the animal, but what makes the animal tick, why they think the way they think, why they do what they do, what makes them go, you know, what makes their world uh, revolving. It's a learning aspect. I mean, honestly, if any human being thinks that they know everything at one time about any animal that walks the face of this earth, that there's no way that they're, they're ever evolving just like that. We are as humans and you, you, it's a learning experience every time you go. And I think that's probably the nuance why I love it so much. I think that there are, when you, when you look at like non hunters, I'm not talking about like the anti hunters, the the non hunter out there. I, when they, when they kind of, I don't know, they, they don't understand hunting and part of the reason that they don't understand it, not that they're not that they have like a negative feeling or whatever towards hunters, but they don't understand the, the, the like it's not a hobby, like it's a lifestyle and they don't understand the passion and the obsession that comes out of it because they don't understand how much you learn every single season there is no i mean you can master hunting right like you've mastered turkey hunting you've mastered elk hunting and and whitetail hunting all these things that you've mastered i wouldn't say elk hunting maybe maybe whitetail and turkey but okay okay well i'm still still learning the elk i've killed a lot of elk but i'm still mastering the elk hunting part of it (laughs) (laughs) well that that's good no and and that's that's what the beauty behind it is even when you've mastered it there's still a ton you learn every season. Every time you go out in the field, every time you, you know, I, I've been hunting coyotes. I've been calling coyotes and hunting my my entire life, right? And and uh, I've I've gotten a pile of them. But I took my daughters out because uh, we're on our property. We've had we've had a bunch of we we it goes through phases where there'll be no coyotes, and then all of a sudden we'll we'll have five or six of them running around. And the problem with that, Chris, is we got chickens, and and uh, I, I you know we we free range them for most of the day. Uh, and I don't want coyotes getting my chickens. So, uh, I'm out yeah, there. They, we're they out cycle. there. What's that? I said they cycle coyote cycle. Yeah. Yeah. They cycle. And for here, they cycle like one month. Uh, they're, they're here one month. They're gone. Um, and so they're just, they're just moving around a lot. But anyway, um, I thought it'd be easy to go out and nail a couple of coyotes with this new, uh, co- uh this call I've got and, uh, <laughs> nope. Man, they're still outsmarting me. And again, that is the beauty behind hunting is is just this endless process of learning and improving. And there's always something that you can can make yourself better. This, I, so I'm on your Instagram, Chris. Is that uh, is that you? You're in like a red flannel shirt, holding a rifle and a buck. Uh, there's like a red Chevy behind you. Yeah, that was uh, that was like years and years and years ago. That was my dad and I, uh, and my grandpa. I mean, I, if you, uh, if you look at that, I don't, is the, is the picture just me or is it me and, a, and an older fella? Well, there's the older fella with his arm around you on one. And then right next to that is you kind of kneeling over, a, over a little buck, um, yep. with the red chev. Yep. That was, uh, probably 1980, 81. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That was, uh. That's a long time ago, brother. When you're 50, I'm gonna be 55 in two weeks. I hate to get my age away, so yeah. I can tell you that's a long time ago. Yeah, yeah oh yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of years ago. I I uh, it just that picture, those two, both those pictures just speak to me because I mean you're you're older than I am by a little bit, but uh, it, it just it takes me back and it, it just speaks to you know the your life is fully immersed in hunting and has been your entire life and and you've got the pictures to show it. You know, it's just it's a cool story. I love these stories I, and I don't get to talk to a lot of people from uh, down south and 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 in Missouri. Yeah, yeah. So you consider that down south, but yeah, I understand where you come from. <laughs> well, so I I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong. I heard that it depends on what part of Missouri you're in, whether or not they feel like they are part of the South. What, like, explain that, because I don't I don't live there. Well, so there's kind of that line, and so in Missouri, if you look at the Civil War, and of course we're we're going to get a little political. No, that's okay. I, I'm a, I'm a, just to forewarn you, Chris. I'm a major Civil War buff, so uh, yeah, let's so do this. We're gonna get a little, we're gonna get a little political now. So mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day, when you look at Missouri, Missouri as a whole in the Civil War was kind of a, a independent state. Yeah. However, there was a line, and I don't know exactly where that line was drawn. Um, I live north of that line. Um, I'm kind of from the north part of that. Uh, as far as where I live. Mm -hmm. However, I still abide by that Missouri was a neutral state and we just were very independent. And, you know, I, I don't know how you, a lot of people take that, but I think that independence is so, if you're, if you're a hunter, if you're a guy that is an outdoors person, whether you're a hunter, you're a fisherman, you're a hiker, you're just an outdoors person and you enjoy the outdoors. You enjoy wildlife for what they have to offer. You're an independent guy. Yeah. You're an independent woman. You're self-reliant. Yep. You're, you're self-reliant. You know, um, I'll give you a little tidbit here. I know, um, my brother-in-law, my wife's brother was here in, I believe last, uh, June, late June. And, he told his kids, this is, this is his exact words to his, his children. He said, Hey, if crap ever hits the fan, go to uncle Chris's place. You'll be fine. <laughs> Are you, uh, and, and you know, that kind of was like, you know, that's kind of a cool deal to have that kind of trust Oh yeah, in somebody to know that, you know, I believe that hunters in general, no matter what happens, they're level-headed. They understand that they've got to put the hardcore shell on, and they got to make positive things happen. They're gritty. And nothing can bring them down. It's a, it's a gritty lifestyle, male or female, and that's why why I like being a part of the hunting community is is for that reason because I I think and and we can go down whatever rabbit hole you want to with this, but in, in my opinion. Uh, America the, as a society is growing softer and softer as we go and we we fuss over things that are just irrelevant in the grand scheme of, of what your life is supposed to be and is urbanization and this uh, you know overly comfortable life that we live where you can you know order order uh, whatever dinner you want on your phone and have it to your house in 15 minutes or it's free kind of kind of mentality has has just made a lot of society soft and and where hunters they have kind of a grittiness against that where there's there's this 
Uh, sure, we might like some of that, but we also have the ability to be self-reliant and, and spend the time understanding these animals and getting to know these animals and what they do and how they live so that we can become a part of nature and, and utilize those an- animals because that's, that's the ancient way of humanism. That's, that's what life has been for uh, since the dawn of time. And, and when that, when we start losing that through, uh, you know, just the way we, uh, the American ideal has been so successful that the level of comfort and the quality of life is so extreme in comparison to any other society today or in history, uh, that it, I think that that's just kind of a a way to keep like you and I we we want to kind of maintain that connection to humanism and and hunting and and that primitive life and that self reliance attitude uh, that made America great. Uh, and, and that's, I, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with this other than, um, I, I love that topic and I, I think it's important. And I think that that's why hunters have a bond like you and I have never met, but, uh, man, I really like you, <laughs> you know, and well, I, I have since know, we first started talking. Yep. And I, I agree with you and, and I'll go back and I'll, I'll make one little small statement here. And I think that anybody that's listening to this will, will understand. I think Hank Williams Jr. said it best. Country boy can't survive. I can skin a buck. I can run a trot line. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can put food on the table and no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to be okay. And that to me has been like a mainstay in my life as I've never worried about where tomorrow is going to come from because I kind of hold a little bit of tomorrow in my hands. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put I, it. I, I think that hunters understand that. They're, they're substance people that understand that they can make something happen if it really needs to happen. If you've got to feed your family, I can feed my family. And That's it, not a problem. And just look at the way that society reacted to COVID-19 and and clearing out the shelves of, of you know, top ramen and, and toilet paper. Uh, and, and, and <laughs> Amen, think, brother. you know, think about, think about if that was on like a much, what if that was like the Ebola virus, you know, it was something way worse than, than COVID or, or like EMPs hitting or, you know, and I'm not like some big conspiracy theorist, but, but I think COVID put it into perspective for a lot of people that we are a, a nation and a society at risk and, and it wouldn't take much to destroy that supply chain and, you know, like like your brother in law was saying, uh, there those people are coming to you. you. You know, you're the hunter. You're the one that can can obtain the sustenance necessary to survive in those difficult times. And and I think that it's, I mean, again, I'm not like a major conspiracy theorist, but I am of the mindset that there is going to be something that happens to to this society in in which people like us that are self-reliant and and are able to hunt and we do know how to process the meat and grow our own food and you know live off the land um we're we're going to be a hot commodity and and people are going to suffer because they don't know how to do that no you know what i mean let's just face it uh we've gotten into a for lack of better terms a fast food society and Mm -hmm. and 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 that goes with every realm that doesn't mean just food it's everything that 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 is involved in society we're we're a fast food society everything is about what we can obtain quickly and easily 
without working for it. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I, and I think COVID beyond anything proved that beyond the shadow of a doubt, just simply because the government paid people to stay at home and work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, actually stay at home and not work would be a, would be a better terminology. I, I was going to say and it's, I, it's, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to put anyone down with my words on this by any means, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't believe that while, you know, we all get tired of getting up every day and going to work. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's tiring. It works on you. Yep. It's, it's an everyday grind. It is. But if you have any kind of, uh, spiritual background and faith in your life and understanding of what makes things tick, our job as human beings is to get up every day, go provide for our families, put food on the table, whether it be go to work, whether it be to go hunting, what, whatever it is, it, it all evolves around that, that mainstay of having that ability to push yourself and get up every day and go do your job and get things done and make things happen. And, you know, we can all sit back after we're all said and done and have that little pat on our backs and go, you know what? I may not be a multimillionaire. I may not be this. I may not be that, but you know what? I don't have to answer to anyone because I provided for my family. I took care of my family and everybody's happy and healthy. And I, I went out and I, I harvested X amount of meat. I went to work and I got a, I collected a paycheck. Uh, I was able to provide and I did a good job and I, yeah. and I did the best that I could do. And, you know, we're all going to be judged by the same person at the end of the day, mm-hmm. no matter what anybody thinks, you know, we're all going to be judged by the same man. So yep. good luck. I, I, I'm pretty, I feel pretty good about where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I think I, I think you know to speak to what what you were talking about there from a like a self fulfillment level too. I think that's important. Like I I don't understand the people that can sit home and collect a government check for months and months and months and months or even years at a time. I get that there are certain circumstances where sure. maybe somebody yep. lost their job and, and they, that, that assistance is going to help feed their family for, for a while until they can get back on their feet or what whatnot. But the problem is, is people make a freaking career out of it. And, and I don't understand the mentality of sitting around playing video games or, um, you know, whatever it is to fill your debt, to fulfill your time and and then go to bed at the end of the day and feel good about yourself. I I just I don't understand that. I can be super busy all day long, but if I feel like I didn't achieve anything substantial out of my busy day, I have a hard time sleeping. I I can't I, I don't understand how a person's soul is even fulfilled by sitting around and doing nothing all day. It just that I, I, I we're getting way off topic here, buddy, but <laughs> it's, no, no, it's a big I, I deal. Totally, I, totally, you know? I totally agree with you. I, I, I totally, I, I am totally on board it. You know, I, I, I've told my wife many a times, 
you know, on a Saturday afternoon, you know, I'm out here, mow the yard, weedy, do this, do that, take care of this, get things done. And I'm like, you know, it's a busy day, but man, it was successful. Yeah. Yeah. I felt, I felt like, I felt like I, at the end of the day, I had success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was doing, I was doing what I call just house chores that you, you, you should do. Yeah. But. I still felt successful and that I actually accomplished something that day. And there's something to be said about that. I, you know, uh, a lot of us have desk jobs where we work on projects and we do this and we do that. And I remember uh, years ago I was doing construction, some construction stuff in between some things. And I was doing a lot of trimming out of a house and, you know, doing a lot of, you know, fine trim work. Yeah. Finish work. And, and when I got you know, every day, I would make a great big change in how everything looked. And I remember just feeling such satisfaction. I was like, wow, I actually see progress. Yeah. And there's something about being able to see progress that kind of satisfies the soul. Exactly. It's that mental that mental feeling of accomplishment and doesn't have to be some major thing because like you were saying, my, like my day job, I'm, I'm, it's like half desk, you know, I'll go, uh, I'm an estimator for commercial roofing. And so I'll go, I'll go walk a big like high school roof or something. And, uh, and then I spend the day after that doing an estimate as to what it would cost to replace that roof. Right. And, right. and they're super complicated. They're very big jobs in the millions of dollars, you know, and, and so there's yep. a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of stress that comes with this because, you know, shoot, if I put a decimal point in the wrong spot, um, it could really cost the company, you know? And so, yep. so there's that aspect of it, but I could do that all day and I feel okay about myself. But if I do that and then I, I stop work at four or five o'clock and I go out and I, I just clean the chicken coop, for example. Man, it's the cleaning of that chicken coop that makes me feel good about my day. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. is, it is that physical thing. And I, yep. I, everything every day is there's something physical that I, I it's like it's like my goal right now. I don't care if I'm splitting wood, cleaning, chi- fixing chicken coops, fixing the garden, you know, moving topsoil, hunting. I, it was something tangible that you could physically see with your eyes at the end of the day. And it just it, that's what makes my soul happy and fulfilled i i think and i think that every human is like that because that's how life has always been there's always had to been something tangible that people do and and we've kind of lost that where uh you know i i had a job for about 10 minutes chris where i had to sit in a cubicle i couldn't do it like it's just not it's not my thing i can't do it and i i respect people who do because it takes a lot of discipline but um i i need that tangible result at the end of the day so anyway I agree. Yep. So, uh, when when we're talking about hunting, obviously you've took a liking and you've gotten attached to this turkey hunting thing. And I I love turkey hunting, Chris. But I'm not. I'm in again. We're out west, so turkey hunting out here is, I think, not just vastly different in terms of how we pursue turkeys, but culturally, it's it's a way different thing than it is somewhere like Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I think that there's a big cultural aspect in, in places like Missouri. And when I lived in North Carolina, it was, it was like a big deal. It was like NASCAR, man. They shut everything down for Turkey season. And, uh, um, talk to me a little bit about 
vocalizations with turkeys, why, why you've like gotten so, I don't know, passionate about doing that and pursuing it to a level, uh, because you've got, let me go back to your Instagram here. Cause I want people to understand if they, if they don't know who you are, 10 times grand national Turkey calling champion, nine world champion titles, uh, three U S open champions, championships, three. Mm-hmm. So, um, Clearly, you know what you're doing when it comes to calling turkeys. Where does that come from? You know, it's kind of funny. The first time I ever turkey hunted, and again, we'll go back. This was in 1979. It was a fall season. And it, I, I, I don't think it was the first fall season that Missouri had. I think it was a second fall season. And I may be totally wrong, so I don't want to quote anything on that. Sure. But it had, hadn't been very many fall seasons. I'll just put it that way. Um, but my dad took me out on that fall season and, um, we were across the river from where the turkeys were. They were up on this ridge, but turkeys were gobbling. They were yelping. They were kiki. And there was a multitude of vocalization going on. And, you know, here's this young kid that, although I don't know anything, I'm smart enough to understand. I'm like, Wow these things have their own language. Mm-hmm. They're talking to one another, albeit I don't know a thing about what they're saying to one another, but they're talking to one another. Boy, if you got good at understanding that and got good at making those sounds, you got, you got to be more successful. It just, it, you just got to go hand in hand. It's just the thought process in my mind. Yeah. And so I just kind of took it upon myself. I was like, you know, I remember coming back from that hut that morning going, Dad, I, I got to learn everything there is. And I started buying cassette tapes, uh, records. You know, this was back when we still had 33 records. We still had cassette tapes. You, you're talking back in the day. I mean, I mean there's probably yeah. a lot of people listening don't even know what a cassette tape is, for Christ's sake. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm listening to this stuff, and I'm trying to gather all the knowledge that I can gather on the calling aspect so I can learn to call. I'm buying calls, and I'm figuring out that, uh, you know what, I, I think I can build these things and I'm trying to learn how to build them. You know, and I'm building with a pair of pliers and surgical latex and, you know, every little thing that there is. And it's like, holy moly. I, you know, and I, I finally got to work, you know, I'm like practice literally five, six hours a day. I'd get, I'd, I'd practice before I went to school. I'd practice after school. And I got myself really in tune to understanding, you know, what turkeys sound like. Now, I had to, I had to learn how to hunt turkeys. And so that really and truly, I mean, t- by today's standards with YouTube and some of the things that we have now compared to what I have had it as, ki- as a kid. Oh, yeah. It's, it's totally different. I mean, you can learn things today way faster than you ever could learn back in that day. So my learning experience on the hunting part of turkeys was more trial and error and just asking a lot of questions to a lot of old timers. You know, how do you do this? How do you do that? What do you do here? What do you do there? And then screwing up, making mistakes, making mistake after mistake after mistake. Luckily, I grew up in a state in Missouri that had a lot of turkeys. Um, We had, you know, a, a, a decent season. And I had a lot of property I could hunt, so I learned a ton. And um, 
that's kind of where my calling aspect came from is I just, I wanted to learn as much as I could about calling to be a better hunter so I could be more successful. And my dad and I were literally, he was actually buying a boat in Hannibal, Missouri. And upon him buying this boat, I saw this little thing up on the board at the boat shop. And I told my dad, it was a turkey calling contest in Hannibal, Missouri. And I told my dad, I said, you know what? I said, I would, I'd like to go to that turkey calling contest and call that calling contest. He goes, you think you're ready for it? I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get any better. And I said, you know, it might be a good way for me to learn and get to be a better caller and a better hunter. I can talk Uh to some guys. Uh And so we went to this contest in Hannibal. I was 13 years old and I killed some turkeys by then, but I didn't know anything about it. I killed some turkeys only because we had a lot of turkeys. Yeah. You know? Um, and you know, if you got a lot of turkeys, <laughs> you sit around long enough, you just, yeah, you, it, may, it, may, it makes it a little easier, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you scratch one out every now and again. <laughs> and, and so I went to the calling contest and, uh, I called in the, uh, what they called the Jake's back then. Uh-huh. And I ended up winning it. I ended up winning it. Oh, really? I won it. First contest I was ever in, I actually fell up the stairs. Uh, I was so nervous that uh, I, I was shaking out of my shoes, but I ended up winning it somehow, some way. I won it by the grace of God. Wow. I ended up meeting a guy. I ended up meeting a guy by the name, and I'm sure everybody that knows anything about turkey hunting will know this name. I ended up meeting a guy by the name of Walter Parrott. Mm-hmm. And Walter kind of took me under his wing, if you will. And uh, I got love. A lot of love for that guy. Um, just a lot of love. It, it, it's, it, it brings a lot of tears to my eyes, even thinking about the times we traveled together, we called together. Him and I were first and second, first and second, first and second in so many contests. Wow. Him, him a few more times first than I was against him because he had a little bit of a one-up on me. I was a young guy. Sure. But he didn't really – Walter was one of those guys that never really – would like give you a lot of information. He'd tell you all about killing a turkey and hunting a turkey. He wouldn't give you a lot of information about calling. I understand that now. He's out there to win. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. He's but, because but of the calling he, chan- or uh, contest. Right, but yeah, he yeah. would give you just enough information that if you had enough sense, you could figure it out. Okay, and so. Once I started figuring things out, then, of course, more information Walter would feed me. And uh, so I, I won that first contest and then, you know, went on and I called in it the second time and I won it the second time. And then I went to it the third time. Uh, I don't even remember what year this was. So this has been, I think, 83 was the first one, 84, I guess, 85. Um I was able, I was old enough. I could call in the open. Well, kind of funny. I placed fourth in the open and third in the Jake's division. I beat (laughs) some of the older guys 
And then I started getting to this point. I was like, oh, there's a little bit of a game to play here. This, this, there's a game. A game and, to the and contest. It's like, it, right, it, it's, it's a competition. Uh-huh. There's a game to play here. So you've got to learn how to play that game as well, you know, and, and understand that there's, there's, there's an aspect to this that's, you know, even though you're calling and you're trying to call like a real turkey, there's also a game to play. Sure. So you have to learn how to play that game. And so you put it all together and you go, okay, I'm good at calling. I can get this down, but I also got to be good at the game. I got to be good at playing this game. And I got to understand how the judges are reading things. And, and even though, you know, they're listening for a real Turkey, they're also listening to how I put things together. And, you know, you, you learn to play it. And unfortunately I was blessed enough to learn to play it and was able to, you know, accomplish what I was able to accomplish in the Turkey calling world. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm, of course, retired now. And last year, I was inducted into the NWTF Hall of Fame. And, and you know, my career as a caller is over. But they will uh, they will bury me with uh, turkey feathers in my urn. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I love it. And when you are as – because you've, you've been in this a long time and, and you, you've kind of, you know – how, well, let me ask you this. How many states have you hunted turkeys in? 33. 33. Okay. Usually guys like you that are that are real passionate about turkey, it, that's I, I feel like that's a sense of pride when you've you've hunted multiple states for turkey and and so um I I knew you'd have a, an answer. But anyway, um what when you're looking at hunters out there now, because, you know, nowadays we have social media, we have, you know, all these different videos and, and whatnot. What are, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see new turkey hunters or even experienced turkey hunters that may not be, it might be just a numbers game. Like you were saying, there's just so many turkeys. Like anybody can come to North Idaho where I live and tag out on a turkey. I, I mean, like anybody, um, you can get two turkey tags here. In, and and me and my my two daughters, uh, all of us tagged out on both tags last year. Like, and it wasn't that hard, right? So, the, the I, I guess that's I'm, I'm getting back to this question. Um, what do you what mistakes do you see turkey hunters making? And uh, like, I'd be one of them if if I if I filmed myself turkey hunting, you'd be like, Jim, no, sir, come on, those were just dumb turkeys. Uh, <laughs> right. And so I, I want, I want people to kind of get an idea of, um, you know, a little better understanding on the calling aspect. Like I call them in, but I don't know. I don't know how I'm calling them in. I don't know why I'm calling them in. I don't really know what I'm saying or what they're saying back. You know, if you separate that, like when, when we're calling elk, I know what to say to elk. And I know, I know when I hear them vocalize back at me, I, I generally know what they're saying to me. And, and a lot of it is just emotion, and a lot of it is just a, a feeling that I have because I've been doing it a long time. Turkeys, yep. I, I don't have that. And so can you, can you speak to that part and, like, what, what hunters do to mess up their turkey hunt? Well, I mean, it, and so I'll back up one, one, one step here and, and say, Jim, that I don't care how much experience you have, you're going to make mistakes. Sure. I mean, that's yeah. They're 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 wild animals out there. They are doing their thing, and we we 
have a tendency as humans a lot of times to overthink the process, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're wild animals. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say they're dumb by any means. They're, they're dumb compared to our mentality because God gave us uh, ability to reason compared to what an animal has. Mm-hmm. Okay. But at the end of the day, we outthink ourselves a lot. We overthink the process. Totally. And, and I think that that has a lot to do with, you know, I remember giving a seminar and I'm, I'm going a long way around this. So, so bear with me just a little bit here. No, you're, you're good, Chris, but you're, you're a little far away from the mic there. Yeah, I got you. I I said, I I was giving a seminar and I'm, I've got a, I got a guy that, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the Turkey aspect of it and, and the calling aspect of it and what turkeys are doing. And he's like, he asked me this question. He's like, Hey, he goes, uh, um, you know, I got this Turkey that, you know, I set up on him one day on this side and he flies down and he goes the other way. And the next day he, I go up and I set up on him in this other direction and he flies down and he goes the other way. Um, he's like, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on here. And I'm like, yeah, I said, uh, he knows who you are and he knows what you sound like and he knows, he knows your call and he just, you know, he's just, he just got you figured out. And he's like, Oh really? And I'm like, no, I said, totally the opposite. I said, he's just being a Turkey. I said, you're overthinking the process too much. He's just out there being a turkey. He doesn't know any different. He doesn't know any better. He's just doing what comes natural to him. He just doesn't know any better. I said, you're overthinking it. I said, do the same thing three days in a row. And on the third day, guess what's going to happen to that turkey? You're going to fly right down in front of you. He's going to be right in your face. Mm-hmm. I said, quit overthinking the process. I feel like, like I feel like a lot of hunters like, I, can learn from he's that. Like, I, yeah, I, and I think that that has a lot to do with every aspect of what we hunt, whether it's a white-tailed deer, you know, I mean, whether it's an elk, whether it's a caribou, we we overthink things to the point, especially animals that we we vocalize with, you know, that we have calls for. Yeah, um, we over we overthink the process. I mean, obviously, caribou is not one of them, but let's just say elk whitetail you know we can grunt and, and we can rattle to whitetails we can do so many things and but we overthink that process instead of just keeping it simple stupid and realizing that they're just out there being normal they don't know any difference we're the ones overthinking it man that is so true i'm glad to hear you say that what there's that movie ah shit it's gonna totally evade me what the name of that movie is but it's that football coach and he's like stick to the basics stick to the basics and he's just he's just scre- screaming at the team or whatever because they were trying to do this real complicated play you know and and i think that like i'm guilty of that with elk i'll get out i'll get out in the elk woods and you know maybe maybe i'm getting a bugle from over here but for some reason in my mind i overly complicate the scenario and the situation and i think that the elk is like more cognizant and more savvy 
than they really are. I mean, elk are smart, right? For an elk, elk are smart animals, and 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 they're and turkeys, I think, are smarter than people give them credit for. Hello, a, well, a, a rainbow trout is too, but I I when I they're when in their I, environment. They're in their environment, and they do this for a living. And what I what yep. I found, Chris, is when I'm struggling in the elk woods, all of a sudden it'll it'll kind of hit me where it's like, okay, I need to go back to the basics because I'm complicating this. And and I've I've done it with turkey, I've done it with whitetail, I've done it with mule deer, and and I'm going back to the basics where they're in their natural environment. I just love the way you put that because it's again I'm always seeking for I'm always seeking ways to simplify the complicated. And sometimes we just complicate stuff, and especially with these these damn turkeys, man, they could be tricky. Well, you know, and and, and you talk about you know turkeys in the western part of the United States compared to let's just say our part. So you talk about turkeys in northern Idaho being easy. Okay, so you could say that they're easy. They're not really easy. The difference between a lot of turkeys is the amount of pressure that they've had on them. You know, if, if, a, if an animal is hunted an immense amount of days, hours, years, they evolve. They change. They, 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 everything, things are bred into them. No different than what's bred into a human being. Um, you know, if you, were, if you were a person that your dad was in law enforcement and chased by a bad guy and you had to deal with that and you got in law enforcement and were chased by a bad guy – as, as time evolved, the son of the son of the son of the son would be brilliant at evading a bad guy. True. Yeah. He would, he'd have him outsmarted before he ever thought about getting out, you know, get, getting his clothes on in the morning. Sure. Uh, uh, that's, that's just how that is. It, it's called, it's, 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 it's evolution. And animals evolve because of the pressure that they're put on them and they change. And it's not that they're, they quit being what they are. They just do things differently. You know, a big whitetail. You know, everybody says, oh, man, you spook a big a big whitetail buck. You spook a five-year-old buck one time and you'll never see him again. You don't, <laughs> you don't, never, see, you don't never see him again because he leaves where he's at because he lives there. He don't leave where he's at. He just quits moving in a manner and by which you can put your eyes on him on a consistent basis. Yeah. That's what happened. Uh, see, I'm guilty Turkey of that, Chris. I'll Turkey be like, oh, that big old yeah. buck went to Arkansas. <laughs> no, he never left. <laughs> no, he, you're exactly right, because he still shows up on the cameras. Yeah, he's living right underneath your nose. You just you just haven't figured out that you need to change what you're doing <laughs> yeah. to make things happen. Turkeys are the same way. I, I get such a kick out of it. Guys are like, well, you know, they're, they're not gobbling. You know, the gobble on the roost, they fly down, they shut up. Why do you shut up? Oh, well, you know, he actually packed his bags and he boarded freaking Southwest airlines and he flew out of the country. <laughs> he's a frequent flyer on Southwest. Yeah. No, he didn't. He's looking at hens and when he flies down and it's the middle of breeding season and he's looking at hens, why would he want to gobble and let every other gobbler in the area know that he's got a bunch of hens with him? Yeah. Why? I wouldn't. Hmm. Would you? No, nope. you would not. So why is he going to gobble? He's going to spit and drum. But guess what happens as time evolves? The hens are going to go on the nest. 
they're going to start laying eggs. They're going to start setting. And that gobbler may not gobble a whole lot, but he's going to come to a call because there's another hen that he hears and he may just spit and drum and he may just walk in there. So learn to be a patient hunter. Learn to understand how the lay of the land works. Learn where the areas are that turkeys like to frequent. There's a whole lot more that goes into the hunt than just the vocalization. It's not just being able to call to that turkey. It's also being able to call to that turkey in the way that the turkeys are vocalizing in that manner. Mm -hmm. So if the hens are not real vocal, don't be real vocal. Don't call a lot. Go sit around areas that turkeys frequent. Be patient. Take your time. Don't expose yourself. Uh, there's just so many aspects that go into it, and guys want to kill a turkey that's gobbling and running to a call and strutting and drumming and doing his thing. We well, all that, love that. Yeah, yeah. It's the we same with hill hunting. Yeah, yeah. But guess what? They don't all do that. Yeah. And, and well, so learn to hunt. To hunt, learn to hunt animals that don't give themselves away. Learn to be a patient. Set around, think about what's going on and how you would don't overthink the animal. Think about what you would do if you had all this pressure on you and how you would react to it. And if you start putting yourself in that aspect of the game, mm-hmm. man, you, your success rate will go up a hundredfold. I mean, I can't tell you how many turkeys I have killed that have never gobbled that have never said a word that just came in looking sometimes spitting and drumming sometimes just walking up looking because I decided to be patient. I decided to set around. I decided to scratch in leaves and cluck and purr and soft yelp and act like a turkey that is just being a turkey and not being super vocal because the turkeys around me weren't being super vocal and just trying to put myself in that, that, aspect of the game and you just the success rate goes sky high and it doesn't matter whether you're in idaho or whether you're in new york city or in vermont pennsylvania it doesn't matter turkeys are turkeys no matter where you're at they i don't believe in a call shy turkey i'm people say i'll call shy well if they were call shy the good look they'd never breed and have babies yeah People say that about yeah. People say they're, that about a lot of things. They're they're pressure shy. Yeah. And if you got a lot of pressure on them, they're still going to do what they do. They just may, may not gobble and be very vocal at it, but they're still going to do what. I've killed turkeys in the sleet. I've killed turkeys in the six inches of snow. I've killed them in the driving rain. I've killed them in every weather condition you can imagine. They're still out there doing their thing they're just doing it a little bit different than what they would do when you want them to be what you, what you think a Turkey should be doing. Sure. They're this not is... going to do it every day. You, you know what you, oh, you, yeah. you talk about? Yeah. Elk. I mean, I'm not the elk hunter. You are. And I'm, I'm oh, larger. No, 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 no. Yeah. Leave, leave it at that. I, I am not the elk hunter Dirk is. I like Dirk is my elk hunting mentor. <laughs> so, he's a hero. He's a hero. Yeah. Man. He's a hero. But, he's, he's like who but, I want to be as an elk hunter, but, but I'm just not. But he, I'm sure he'll tell you the same thing that, you know what? 
man, if they're not vocal and you don't know where one's at, you just got to put, you got to put shoe leather on the ground and you just got to work at it and you just got to be patient. And you know, sooner or later you'll straggle into something, you know, you'll just, you just it, that, that's just the way hunting is. Yeah. Well, Chris, okay. Yeah. You're going to eviscerate me, man. Um, I, I, I want to ask a couple of the questions that I get a lot of from the audience when it comes to turkey hunting. Because, and I want to set this up from, you know, the aspect of, again, where I live, man, and I, we, we own, we homestead here in North Idaho. I've got 26 acres. There's turkeys all over this place. You know, interestingly, only one of the turkeys we, me and my daughters killed last year was actually on our property. So it's not like we just hunt the property here, but, um, we've, uh, most of them were killed on public land last year. So anyways, the point being is I am so amateurish at turkeys, and, and I think that there are so many turkeys here, it makes this possible. But all I do, and this is the question I get a lot from the audience when it comes to turkey hunting, um, all I do is, I, I, do, you make, do you make these little black bat reeds for Phelps? Yeah. Is that you who makes those? Yeah. So I, I just, I, I, generally speaking... I'll locate a turkey by doing my own gobble, which is just with my mouth, and it sounds terrible, but turkeys respond to it because they like to gobble at everything, right? Um, and then I'll, I'll kind of close the distance, and I'll stick this little black bat reed in my mouth, and I'll just kind of go like this. I, hey, by the way, do you, have tur- do you have turkey calls handy right there? Oh, I can have one pretty handy real quick. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm just, I'm just curious cause I, I'm terrible at this. So this is what I do. I'll, I'll, I'll make a goblin or a gob gobble sound. Uh, and maybe let's say I hear a turkey gobble back at a hundred yards, say, and, and I'll close the distance to 50. Uh, it's real thick and brushy here. makes that really easy. Then I'll just stick this little black bat in my mouth and go like this. And, and that's basically, I'll, I'll just kind of repeat that. That's all I do. And these, these toms come in and I've killed Jake's that way. And I've killed older toms that way. But if I took that to somewhere like Missouri or Kansas or, or some of the like Midwest or, or Southeast areas where they get a lot more pressure, that's not going to work. That I, I think. Uh, that, no, I, I, I would disagree with you. I, I, you think it would work? It all depends on the day. It all depends on the Turkey. It all depends on what's going on. I mean, the calling aspect, you 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 said a mouthful when you said you cut the distance. So yes, you know my my thought process and what most people do wrong is they don't set up close enough to the turkey before they start calling to the turkey. Okay, so um, can you can you define that though, Chris? Yeah, like when you say they're not they're not set up close enough. Uh, what is that range? If you, if you were to give us like a guesstimation of yardage where you think is kind of that prime area, um, I'm always going for 50 yards personally, but I, I, I may be way off base, man. No, no you know what? I'm not, I mean, obviously terrain has a lot to do with it. Yes. So, and brush. Where, where you and, hunt yeah. at and you've got, you've got a lot of, you know, you've got hills and hollers and, and you got brush, you got thick, you, you can get close to the turkey. Okay. We in the Midwest, if you came out here, there'd be a pocket of timber and then a wide open field for 200 yards. Well, obviously, you're not going to walk across the wide open field and go 200 yards to that patch of timber if the turkey's 
on the edge of the patch of timber. Mm-hmm. You're going to bust it, you know, and then, then the game's over. Right. So, yep, yep. but, but if I could get, if I can get inside what I call that hundred yard bubble, okay. 99% of the time, I'm probably going to get that Turkey either killed or shot at. We'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. But I've got to get inside that bubble. So many times a person will set up 200 yards from a turkey, especially on the roost. Turkey's gobbling on the roost. They, you know, they, they slip in and they, they don't look the terrain over real good. They don't realize they can get close to that bird. And they set up. They set up 200 yards from me. Well, guess what could happen in that 200 yards? I mean, anything yeah. can happen. Anything can happen yeah. there. Public land, another hunter. Yep. Hens. Coyote. Coyote. There's a lot of things that can happen. And and most of the time, it's hens. Most of the time, if a turkey is gobbling, hens go to the gobbler by nature. That's just how it is. And, you know, uh, you'll have a turkey gobbling. You'll be working him. He's gobbling, man. Every time you call, he's gobbling. All of a sudden, he shuts up. One or two things is probably going to happen. Either that turkey is on his way or hens showed up. Hmm. He don't show up in 10 minutes. Hens are, hens are involved. Or, I mean, he could have got spooked, obviously, if it's public land. He could have got spooked either by anything. But if you're hunting private land, chances are he got with hens. Well, he's done gobbling now. He's strutting and drumming, and he's breeding. Okay. Well, so, so what I will do is I will just sit there, and I will wait, and I will give it time. Because sooner or later... He's going to gobble at something because one of the hens is not standing for him. She, she's not ready. She, she won't breed with him. And all of a sudden, he'll gobble. And you might be able to hit him with a, with a call, make him gobble. It may be uh, an owl or a crow or a hawk or whatever. And he'll gobble. Well, once that turkey gives his location away, again, if, if he does, even if he does, a lot of times I'll make a little move and try to get closer if the terrain will let me. But if he gobbles again and I got a really good location, I'll, I'll, if the terrain will allow me, I will cut the distance in half and I will just go in there and sit and never make a sound. I'll just sit there and listen to what's going on and kind of figure out because now I know that there's about a 95% chance that he's got hens with him. Well, chances are those hens don't want anything to do with me. I'm an intruding hen. Cause that, cause uh, just clarification right there. They, they don't want anything to do with you because they think you're another hen. Is that right? I'm another, I'm another hen. She wants, she wants, she wants all the man. Okay. I mean, you know, no different than man wants all the woman. I mean, that's just the way it is. So if you start calling to her and she's not vocal with you, she's just going to take him and drag him off somewhere. Okay. And so you're, you know, you're now you're like, oh, well, he gobbled, but Sorry. he's not coming. You know, it, it is what it is. But, um, so what I will do is I will assess the situation. And so to that point, uh, two years ago, uh, if everybody watched some of the Phelps episodes where me and Dirk doubled, uh-huh. those two, do- those two gobblers we killed, we were on that morning and we worked them with a group of hens until 11 o'clock and couldn't do nothing with them. 
I mean, they gobbled everything you did. And no matter what we did, we'd move, we'd make a move, and we'd call, they'd gobble, hens would drag them off this direction. And then we'd make a move, they'd drag them off another direction. And I finally looked at everybody and I'm like, uh, let's go get some lunch and the heck with this crap. <laughs> Cause you're, you're not going to pull them away from those hands. You can't, no, so, mean, and that's you, what you're saying. You like can't you, compete. you can't, you can't be compete. like a, you can't be like a sexier hen and, and try to no. pull them off of those. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and what do you, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you can't crawl. I mean, you can crawl out there in the field with a fan and you can do a lot of things. I mean, you sure. could do that, but, sure. but you know, that, I mean, we're, we're trying to kill some turkeys on video and, and yeah, you could have one guy go out there and kill, but it wasn't my hunt. I was, this was all about Dirk and, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we're trying to film a hunt and it, that makes it a little more difficult. Let's just face it. I mean, when you got a camera around, it makes it a little, little more difficult. Yep. So stupid camera told, cost me told, a bull a couple years ago. Right. I told Randy and Dirk and, and Jason, I'm like, Let's go get some lunch and heck with these turkeys. We'll come back about two o'clock, two thirty. We came back, we slipped out to the edge, glassed them. Hens were walking to this clover field. The gobblers were strutting behind them, and I'm. I looked and I said, "Let's cut around here, sit down right here, get behind us with a camera, Jason." And I looked at Randy and I said, "Let's not call at all. They're going to walk up in this clover field." And I said, "They can't get out of gun range." We never made a sound. Hens huh. walked up in the clover field, gobbler strutted and spit and drummed and beautiful right up behind him, 30 yards, one, two, three, me and Dirk doubled. You don't have to call to them. <laughs> That's cool. Learn how to hunt them. Yeah. Yeah. Kill them on their terms. Yeah. Let them, let them make the decision for you. There's times to call and at times that you can call and be very successful. And there's times to learn to shut up and never make a call. Hmm. And that comes with experience. You know, I can sit here, we could have a conversation for the next three hours on this, but sure. in reality there, that, that is something that is, is a learned process by just watching what's going on and going, you know what? I can't kill that animal doing this, but I can kill it doing this. Huh. And you, it, and you change your tactics, tactics to that. How many times have you killed a bull that was bugling and you got inside the bedding area? And you didn't make a sound. You just got in there and, and laid with him until he got up and started bugling, trying to gather his cows up and he walked by and you killed him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know there's, there's a lot of, oh, you know, what always blows my mind and it's probably because I'm not that great of a hunter, Chris, but I know a lot of people that kill bull elk in September and don't make a peep. They don't make a peep. Mm -hmm. They just know different methods. I'm so simple minded. I only know one method. I call them in. Um, but there are people that think about this kind of stuff on a deeper level. And, and I feel like that's what you're doing on the turkeys. Cause I've never really considered that. I mean, I, I, again, Chris, there's, I can drive up a forest service road here, uh, and jump out of my truck. So I literally killed a turkey one time because I, I pulled off the side of the road, shut the truck off, got, I, I, I it was a shotgun, you know, I had my shotgun, um, I wasn't bow hunting and I just on a whim, I, I, I had the, well, it was a mouth call, but I'll do it on the, on the box call here. I just kind of went, you know, whatever, just messing around. And this Turkey comes trucking down towards me. I'm literally peeing 
and this thing, all of a sudden, I, I shot it. It takes flight, and it's heading right for me. I shot it again, and it died right in front of my truck. Easiest turkey hunt I've ever been on. Is that You know what? Tur- turkey, again, exactly what I said earlier. We outthink ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, man. Complicated, right? And, and, and we, don't, we don't think about how simple it can be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like killing big whitetails, and I've been blessed. Uh, I've got, I've killed four Boone and Crockett whitetails in my life, and I've got a bunch of, you know, 150 deer on my wall. And, you know, I'm not, I'm never would ever claim to anybody to be a great whitetail hunter, but I'm tenacious. And I'm just going to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going until somebody makes a mistake. With whitetail, do you use a lot of like grunts or rattles or anything like that, or are you vocalizing a lot? Or I, I don't. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a blind caller. Uh, with whitetails, I do not blind call like I do to turkeys. Okay. Um, I like. I like to have a visual on a deer before I do anything, uh, and, and the reason why is is deer are so they're so into in tune to circling downwind of you. Sure. And, and, you know, you can rattle to a deer and you walk, you, you know, I've seen big deer come out, you know, 160 inch deer walks out and he's 200 yards away. He cracked the horns together and he turns and he's running at you. And then he veers off a hundred yards and makes a big loop and gets 80 yards behind you. I mean, with a gun, it's no problem. Obviously if you're bow hunting though, bow hunting's a problem. He gets gets 80 yards behind you and done yep. out of hey, there well, I, I got a question on that um the well actually let, let me ask you this chris that like it sparked an idea i do i don't know if you're familiar with my show but uh, we were talking about dirk i just had dirk on uh, when this comes out it'll be last week's episode uh the school of september and and it's a special series for september archery hunting and uh, dirk's on it every year um and and what what one of the requests I've been getting is like take that same concept like the school of September's which is a real comprehensive elk hunting you know kind of back and forth discussion. Would you be up for coming back on the show to do and I'll just dub it like school of November for whitetail? Absolutely. Would you? Be, I I'd love Absolutely. to have somebody like you that your caliber of hunter that has you know you've been all over the place and and gotten a ton of big whitetail i'd love to have you on the show for that um absolutely i'd love to i'm also looking for somebody i don't know if you can you can help or point me in the right direction with this i'm also looking for somebody that can talk to the land management to make it prime for whitetail for the western landscape like I, I know about, you know, planting clovers and stuff, but most of the hunting that dudes like me do is on public land. I will mm-hmm. take the kids out and uh, and we'll hunt whitetail here on the property or, or, or whatever. I've shot one on the on the property here. Um, actually, I've shot a couple on the property. Uh, but anyway, the point is, is so like managing your land for whitetail is not a big thing in the West like it is in your neck of the woods. Right. And so yep. like I'm just kind of a I'm a, it's a guessing game for me. I'd love to have somebody that has some expertise in this. Is that is that something you specialize in or you maybe you could point me in the right direction? 
no, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, as far as Western part, it's not, I mean, I, I do my own thing here in, in, you know, Missouri, but, uh, Randy Milligan, who is, is, uh, definitely, you know, he's part of the, the Phelps crew and everything. Mm -hmm. He's got Kansas property and he's very big into managing his properties and the food plotting and every aspect of it. Uh, and, and he's, close enough to that part of the country that I think he could probably give you a lot of insight on, you know, maybe he's doing it on a little bigger scale than what yeah. a lot of people in the Western part could do, yeah. but you could scale that down and have an understanding of kind of what that is, that is like then and how that can impact your, your whitetail hunting. And you know, it doesn't just impact your whitetail hunting. It impacts all of your hunting. It impacts your, your turkeys. You know, having those those clovers and those food sources available during those peak times is, you know, areas where, you know, turkeys like to bug. They love to bug. Mm -hmm. They love to eat bugs. If there's area, like cl clover is like one of the best food sources for turkeys, not because it's clover. Because the amount of bugs it holds, sure. And turkeys will go that through this, yeah. And you'll see, you'll, yeah. I, I love hearing people talk about it's like, oh man, turkey come that clover field. You see that thing picking around eating that clover? Wasn't eating <laughs> a bit of clover. Wasn't eating, wasn't eating one drop of clover. That son of a gun was picking up bugs out of that clover, and that's what they love to do this time of year, the spring of the year, and, and 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 the summer months. They love to bug. They're bug eaters. They're they're eating. You know, June bugs and grasshoppers and little bugs on the clover, and they're they're eating all that stuff, and, yeah. and that that stuff holds it because it attracts those bugs, and those turkeys love to bug, and uh, that and, to me is you know there there's a lot of aspects to to you know land management that increases your odds of being successful as a hunter because you you attract more game to your, your property. I had, uh, for example, I, I've got, I live on, I got 20, uh, just, just under 23 acres here. And on this 23 acres, I've got, uh, I want to think Jim, I've got like 17 or 18 acres of, of timber mm -hmm. and yeah. some CRP back here. Well, I had a bunch of big walnuts and some other trees that really need to be taken out. One, I looked at it as a, a monetary value for one. And two, a, a habitat improvement. And so I had them taken out and I had all the tops left. And all the understory grew up. Yep. You can't imagine the amount of deer habitat that I created by doing that. And the amount of deer that are living on the property now that were not living on the property two years ago. Just from thin thinning it out like that, huh? Just, that, well, I, I you love thin that it out, but, but you make it thicker because of all the because of the under the brush, yeah. And and it's just it's just amazing. I mean, my wife and I sat out here on the deck, and she's like, "Look at that! There's eleven deer in the backyard." And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to you see know, your property, and, man. That that'd be fun. I'd love it, to see your property one day." And it's and it's like you know that would that didn't happen two years ago. Sure. And we had, deer, we had deer in and out of the property. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, we live in, in you know, rural Missouri, we're going to have deer, but 
we didn't have that amount of deer. And, and just that little bit of habitat management can make a huge difference. You know, we created bedding cover. We, we created, uh, uh, browse food source, um, you know, nesting habitat for turkeys. We, we created a, a ton of little things in a very small area that made game want to live on your property. So and can I you don't, oh, don't have a lot of property, but we have it. We have game here. Oh, there's, that's plenty of pro- property to make a good whitetail habitat, though. I mean, shoot, man, 23 acres is, is a big deal. And so, but can I can I back up a little bit and ask you something yeah. um, about yeah. what you were seeing with, with whitetail hunting? So I, for, for me, Chris, I, I've always been a big mule deer guy. Um, I just got into whitetail hunting, I don't know, five, six, maybe seven years ago. I started getting pretty serious about it. Uh, and, you know... Like where I grew up, we didn't have whitetail. It was it was all mule deer. Now where I live, it's primarily whitetail, and you got to go into the high country to find uh, mule deer. And so it's just a you know it's habitat regional thing. Um, I'm I'm kind of getting addicted to whitetail hunting, but my my problem is is I don't know much about like hunting out of a blind or hunting out of a tree stand. You know, it's just never been my thing. Um, and so the question I have for you is when you were talking about that buck, you know, that was at 200 yards and, and maybe you, you start rattling or grunt or, or whatever. Um, and that buck starts coming and then at, at a hundred yards, he turns and goes downwind to try to pick up your scent. Is there in your opinion, and I'm asking this because I have resoundingly asked the question or answered the question, uh, uh, you know, sorry about that. I've answered the question in my own mind when it comes to bear and elk. You cannot fool a bear or and you cannot fool an elk's nose. But on on whitetail, I use this stuff. Oh man, I'm gonna totally I, I wanna say it's from Buck Fever USA. They do this scent, you know, you can spray yourself down. Uh-huh. It seems to help, but like what do you do for for that to try to I, I I'm of the opinion that with whitetail, and, and again, take it with a grain of salt because I don't have a lot of experience, but I'm of the opinion that you can reduce the magnitude and dramatics of your scent, but you'll never totally eliminate it. I want to get your take on it when it comes to whitetail hunting. I'm 100% in agreement with it. I mean, if the thermals are right and the wind is right, then, I mean, you could go out there and gasoline soak shorts and you're good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but if it's not, doesn't matter what you do, you're going to get busted. It, it's just that it's just that simple. They, they live by their nose. Yeah. They don't see all that well. Uh, they're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Everybody puts them up on this great big high pedestal, but they live by their nose. If if they smell you, it's over, period. And And you're not going to stop that. Now, you can reduce it to a point. If the thermals are right and you got a high skies and the wind is rising in the morning, yeah, you can get by with some things that you would not you would not get by with in an evening time when the when the thermals were falling or in you know when you had the you know the wind. I like a I like a wind five to ten mile an hour because it's steady and it's it's doing one thing. You get a variable wind that's gusting at you know let's say it's five mile an hour two seconds and 25 mile an hour in a couple seconds you 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 can't predict anything and 
one, the deer are spooky as crap. So they're on high alert. And when they're on higher alert, <laughs> their senses are even higher. So oh, yeah. you know, they're going to pick things out a little bit more. Um, but you know, I don't think you can, I don't think you can ever fool a wild animal's nose. Uh, I mean, obviously turkeys can't smell. I mean, they, they tried to say that several years ago, but they can't, they can't say if they could, they, you'd never kill one. Yeah. It's funny. Smell. I remember when that was going around. Oh no, they can yeah. smell. No, they can't. Yeah, no, they can't smell. <laughs> if they can smell, you'd never kill one. You can smoke a Cuban cigar and they'll come running right up to you. I mean, oh yeah, you absolutely. Know. Absolutely. So, but you know, and and the thing is, is you know, if ever if everything's right, you can smoke a Cuban cigar and kill a freaking two hundred inch deer. Oh yeah, I mean, totally. that, that's totally. just the way it is. Yeah. But the thing is, is I don't try to overthink the process. Um, I I dress at the truck uh, most of the time. If not, I, I don't have bar to go. Uh, I don't, I don't wear my boots in the truck. I try to put my boots on when I get out of the truck, just because I feel like that that is the biggest impact that you have is your, your ground scent. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I try to do things right, but at the end of the day, you're never going to beat a nose of an animal that can smell six times the olfactory that a human or a dog can smell. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. You can't beat that. It's just what it is. Um, you know, and another thing that I do that a lot of guys don't do that I probably would bank my success on more than a lot of guys would even talk about is I don't try to hunt particular areas when the wind is absolutely perfect for me. What, what do you mean? Expand on that a little bit. Well, a lot of people want, like, Say, for example, if they feel like the deer is coming from the north going to the south, uh -huh. we'll, we'll try to keep this in simple layman's terms. Sure. They want the wind coming from the north all the time. I don't. I want the wind cutting a crosswind. I want it coming from the northwest or the southwest or, you know, something that's cutting a crosswind. I want the deer to feel comfortable, especially a big mature deer. I want that deer to feel comfortable moving where he has a little bit of wind advantage. Now, I don't want him to have the wind advantage at 100 yards. I want him to have the wind advantage when he gets to me. Sure. So if, okay. he, if, okay. he, gets, if he gets just slightly downwind of me, let's say if it's blowing from my right side to my left side, and that deer is coming from a little bit in front of me, but off to my left side, He's got to get all the way to my left side to get totally downwind to me, but he has the wind in his favor for the most part. So that makes I him like, feel comfortable like, to move in front of you. I, I like to give the deer a little bit of a comfort zone. Gotcha. You know, I mean, they, they like to move when they, I mean, they like to smell what they can't see. So okay. I want to give them a little bit of that advantage. Now I don't want to give them all the wind because at that point you're never going to kill anything, mm -hmm. but if I can get him in my wheelhouse before he gets dead downwind to me, and you can do that, you just got to look the terrain over. And, and that, that again, comes with a lot of years of experience. I mean, a lot of times I'll hang my set and people will look at it and like, my oh, deer's going to get downwind of you right here. Well, like, well, yeah, but I'm planning on killing him here. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking I could probably get him killed here. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, I don't think he's going to get to that point. And if he does, he does. I'll, I'll have to make an adjustment, man. But I, I really think that I can get him killed here before he gets downwind of me. And, and yes, ha- have I, have I bust, have deer busted me because of that? Absolutely. But I've got four Boone and Crockett's on the wall that Say they all die within 15 yards of being downwind of me. Yeah. I think, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. This is like always a thing I have in my head because my, my girls, we, we spooked a couple of bucks last year. I was trying to get them a little bit bigger buck than they, they got the year before. And <laughs> I, I was, I was telling them like, yeah, listen, you gotta, you gotta get busted by a few bucks before you actually get one. Like it's just like a price you pay or something. I, I don't know. And I just, I just mess around, but let's save this. I'm, I'm really excited, Chris. I, I really want to do a white tail and, and like, we'll call it school of September or uh, school of uh, November uh, because I'm, I'm kind of getting obsessive status over, over white tail hunting. And it's, it's funny too, because when, when I grew up, you know, I grew up in Utah and, and it had, uh, we, we only had mule deer that, you know, I, we never saw, there was no white tail at all. Uh, and, and so grow up, uh, I saw a few whitetail when we'd go to certain parts of Idaho because we had a bunch of family reunions in Idaho and Wyoming and whatnot. And so when I was in some of those areas, I'd see whitetail here and there. But it was, uh, I, I joined the Marines and they sent they sent me out to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And, and I get out there and I, I, I start seeing all these whitetail everywhere. And I, I they didn't do it for me, man, because they were way smaller than mule deer. And for some right. reason, it just, it didn't, I, I didn't think they were that cool until, I don't know, maybe like a decade ago. And this is years after I got out of the service, but I, I started noticing, you know, there is something to like the, the hunt that I, I, well, to back it up, I used to think that you hunt whitetail just like you hunt a mule deer. That's not the case. They're way different. And, and that's yeah. why I think you can. A lot of people think they have it in their mind that you have to be either a whitetail fan or a mule deer fan, and you can't be both or you're cheating on the other one. And that's just wrong because I'm telling you, there is there is something special about a big, high country, majestic mule deer buck. But oh, you yeah. are not living until you've been in uh, neck deep into a whitetail rut hunt. And, you know, just the the differences and the nuances that, that separate these deer that make them different species that it it becomes so obvious. I'm like obsessive about them. So I really want to, I really want to get you back on and pick your brain about that. But we, we've been going for over an hour. So I want to wrap it up with, um, talking about, you know, some of the things that we normally talk about on this show, which is as, especially somebody like you, who's got several decades of experience, uh, and successful hunting, and you've seen the transition of hunting prior to social media to hunting after the uh, existence of social media, and and how that's changed, and how hunting has changed, and and how the the general public or the culture has changed around hunting. Um, and and I kind of want to get your take. Like, what do you see as a problem when when we look to the future of hunting? What's what's like a something that just catches your eye and catches your attention, and you think, man, this is gonna, this has got to change, or hunting is in grave danger. You know, I was literally, and this hits on a, a very sharp topic of mine. Um, 
I was literally talking to my wife about this a few nights ago. And she mentioned to me, you know, you haven't posted anything about any of your deer that you've killed in the last five or six years. And I'm like, I don't really care for anybody to know what I do. And she's like, well, yeah, but she goes, you know, you've killed some really good deer over the last five or six years. And I'm like, yeah, I, I understand that. I'm like, I get it. But, you know, I said, I post when Rusty kills a good deer, or Rusty kills a turkey. And I said, I'll throw a turkey on there. Is Rus- Rusty your son? Rusty's my son. Yeah. Okay. And, and she's like, yeah, but I, I've not seen you. And I, she goes, why is that? And I said, you know, Kath, I said, there's a twofold reason. I said, and this was the last post that I, this is the last deer post that I ever put up. Now, when I worked for Bear Archery and other people have posted things and Bear Archery posted some things because I sent pictures to them. But my very last post that I ever put up on my own on a deer is I killed a 189 inch mainframe eight pointer on public land in Kansas. Nice. And I was five days after I killed the deer before I posted the picture. And the first thing that happened was, is I got accused of killing a deer in a high fence. Mm, yep. Now understand I was going 1.8 miles from my truck by GPS into my stand. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I have to ask how many guys have got enough balls to go 1.8 miles at three o'clock in the morning from yep. their truck to their stand and then kill the deer and get the deer out. Which also means you drug a deer stand 1.8 miles into there. Well, it's been a I, lot of time I had, prior. I had, I had, I had, yeah, I had the, I had the stand hung prior to me going in there, but yes, but yeah. still bottom line is, is you worked at it, right? Yeah. And, and I had a witness to the kill and I, I had a game warden witness to the kill because I got a game warden involved to make sure that everybody knew this was kosher because, you know, when you kill a, a, a really big deer, everybody wants to accuse you of everything, do, you know, doing everything wrong. And, and once I posted that and that was said, I didn't have anything demeaning to say to the guy that said that he can believe what he wants to believe. I know what the truth is. Buddy of mine that was hunting with me knows what the truth is. He helped me get the deer out. Yeah. But, at the end of the day, I went, we're starting to live in a society in by which everyone is judged by everything they post. Yep. And I'm not going to be judged by what I post. I, I, I'm, I hunt, I hunt because I love to hunt. I, I like to hunt big deer because I like to hunt big deer. I've graduated. I used to kill everything that walked. I've graduated. Um, I like to hunt turkeys because I hunt turkeys. I kill turkeys because I like to hunt turkeys. I hunt elk. I kill elk because I love to hunt elk. I love to hear them bugle. I loved being out west. I love every aspect of it. I've killed dull sheep. I've killed caribou. I've been, I've killed turkeys in 33 states. I've hunted Alaska two times. I've been to Canada a couple of times. I've, I've been all over the United States. And Alaska and Canada, I love it. I love every aspect of it, but I'm not going to be judged by those that are armchair hunters that mm-hmm. feel like that because you have worked your butt off, saved your money, 
put your time in and dedicated your lifestyle to be successful at doing certain things that you're doing it wrong in their eyes. Now, well, the guy that wants to go hunt a high fence, go hunt a high fence. Yeah, there's care. nothing wrong. There's nothing that, that, wrong with that's, that. That's your privilege. It, that and, is your and, privilege. It's, it's not for me. It's not for me. Yeah. But it's your privilege. It's your money. You do what you want to with it. You earned it. I didn't go work your job. You went and worked your job. And guess what? Not everybody in the world has you 30 know, grand to go. Yeah, or, 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 or hundreds of thousands of hours to go hunt. Mm-hmm. They've got four or five days. They want to go kill a big animal. They go kill a big animal. You know what? That's your privilege. That's that's and, what is and, great and about what? being an American. We have we can like this isn't a socialist country. We don't get freaking jealous because somebody else has the opportunity to go hunt a high fence. And when I say opportunity, that you nailed it, man. Not everybody has the money. Not everybody has the time to go do some public land hero shit. And and so yep. and it doesn't matter because we're still at the end of the day we're all on the same team. And and so I think what happens a lot, Chris, when like you post that big buck and somebody's like, ooh, ooh, you were on the high fence, or you were on a high fence ranch, weren't you? Yeah, you know, just making this assumptive bullshit. What I think a lot of that is, is people get jealous. They've never shot a buck of that caliber. They go. They're out, never going to. Probably. They're never going to. They don't take the time to learn these animals and their habitat and their behavior and all these things that make it happen. And instead, they go out and uh, shoot a, a, a spike r- out the window of their truck and, and you know, don't, don't show it because everybody's afraid, to, uh, which I think is BS in itself. Like, if you shoot a spike or a two-point or something, don't be afraid to post it, man. Like, yeah, like no, who dude, you know what? can post that shit? I'll, go, I'll post it. Go right. Go hunt because you love to yeah, hunt. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And there's no reason to be disparaging other hunters or making accusations that, uh, um, you, well, maybe they're hunting on a high fence. Well, who cares if they are? You, know, Who cares if they are? Like, we're all hunters. Right. That we have we have a much bigger enemy than whether or not somebody hunts a high fence versus not. And I get it. I'm not a high fence guy either. I And, and do I think that somebody gets that gets a 400-class bull elk in a high fence area is on the same level as somebody who gets a 300-class uh, bull elk on on public land? No, I don't think that they're in even even in the same neighborhood. I think that that no, is, that is two totally different things. That does I not agree. mean that I think the guy that went and hunted in a high fence area is an asshole. I that it's just a totally different thing. People need to relax, quit getting jealous, quit acting like you are entitled to some big animal because you have a big loud opinion on social media, and and you have the right to tear somebody else apart on based on assumptions and jealousy, and that's what yep. bothers me, man. And and that is what don't, I, yep. I, don't I, be a don't be a pompous ass. Yeah, exactly. Don't be a congressman. You know what? Don't be a pompous right. congressman we're, on a keyboard. We're 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 all hunters, and at the end of the day, we need to support each other. We need to mm-hmm. be in support of each other because too many people are trying to take away the right that we have as providers for our family. And, and people can say, well, you know, you can go to the store and buy whatever. Well, you know what? I have four deer in my freezer every year. Now, I give a lot of deer to other people, but 
I keep four deer a year. Yep. And we eat those deer. And yes, do we eat other meat? Absolutely we do. Obviously. I mean, you can't eat deer every meal. Yeah. But and if I get a chance to go elk hunting, I, I kill an elk, we're eating elk meat. You know, I've brought back doll sheep. I've brought back caribou. We've be eating all that. That, that's what I know we do. people always have such a misconception with that, Chris. Like I have a freezer full of wild game. Does that mean I don't go buy a ribeye from the grocery store? Hell no. no. I, I still go no. buy it. I just bought a whole hog from my buddy Tyler who raises them. And it's the best hog. It's a, it's the best pork you'll ever get. And, and so it's, it doesn't mean that we have some weird holistic thing where we only eat wild game meat. You know, that's not right. what the goal is. It's all supplemental. We just have a lot of options. So, well, yes. And, and the other thing is, is yeah. Does it save money at the end of the day? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It does. Mm-hmm. You know, cause if I, if I decide, yeah, well, you know what, we're not going to go buy anything this week. We're going to, we're going to eat deer. Okay. Well, you know, we're going to eat elk or whatever. I got it. I don't have to go buy it. Yeah. But if I fell on hard times and we, none of us know when that could happen, we don't have a goal. We know, we don't, you know, we don't know what, we don't know what the outcome We don't know when the next be. COVID is. We don't know when the next layoff yeah. is. We don't know when the next, let's say you get sick. We, you know, what, yeah. anything yeah. And, can and happen. I, I can go pull whatever I want out of the freezer and eat it. And, and it's there. And I love to hunt. Now I love to hunt. A more natural way but i've got friends that have killed plenty of animals in high fences by, by and they're still oh, that's what you mean I... And, I, and i and i don't care they're, they're they're my opinion of them has never changed they're still great people and they're still good hunters but yeah. they, they've done that that that's their privilege that's what they want to do you go do it and enjoy yourself and you know what same thing with killing a, a spike buck you know, how many of us, yes, I've graduated to the point where I'm not going to shoot anything that's, that's, that's a, you know, I want to kill a mature animal. Now, do I make yeah, a mistake every time again? And I shoot, you know, a four and a half year old deer when I thought maybe he was a five and a half year old, or I shoot a three and a half year old and I thought he was a four or five year old deer. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Because the animal turned me on at the time and I shot the animal and I, and I, and I enjoyed the hunt. It's not about what you kill. It's about how much fun do you have during the hunt? What is the experience? Yes. Did you you enjoy the experience? And if you enjoyed the experience, then quit judging it by the animal you kill and enjoy the experience by which it gave you. Because guess what? We don't have but so many freaking sunrises in this life. I like you, Chris. I really like you, man. We have, have, we have uh, so many sunrises in this life. Exactly. And, you know, I have, I, I have a buddy, I have a buddy, uh, Mike Bozarth. He's, he's been on the show before. Uh, and he really put this, this whole concept into perspective for me where he said, you know, at the end of the day, my, my trophy room is my freezer. And what I like about that is I'm like you, Chris. I, I will go after the most mature animal I can, especially when it comes to deer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty decent deer hunter. Uh, I don't think I'm Chris Parrish level, but, but I'm pretty decent. And um, 
You haven't hunted with me yet. You might look a different direction if you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You wouldn't talk to me again if you went deer hunting with me. I'll bet. Yeah, you'd be like, no, no, that that stupid. I love Idaho the whitetail. I love the whitetail hunt in Idaho. I've never killed a whitetail in Idaho. Oh man, well, come see me, man. Come see. I'd love to get you out here to get your perspective on on hunting these whitetail, these mountain whitetail. Uh, they're they're so I much fun, to. man. But the the point is, is what, what I was trying to get before we get to that is um w- w- like mike was saying y- you know my free my, my trophy room is my freezer so so what that tells me for for me what i'm going to do personally and I, I i will not be judged and disparaged and 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 talked down to because of this i am going to hunt for the most mature animal i can find but if it comes down to the last three or four days of deer season i'm shooting it i will shoot whatever buck was, walks out in front of me i'll shoot a doe um, because I no, want that freezer, I want that freezer full, and that yep, is my absolutely. priority. That is absolutely my priority. So, sorry, my well, phone know, and, keeps and we'll, beeping, but yeah, and and we'll back up on the turkey part of it. Uh huh. You know what? I mean, I've been turkey hunting now for this will be my forty seventh year. I think turkey hunting now. Yeah, forty seven years, roughly forty seven years. You spring chicken, you. Yeah. Yep. So. You know, I'm I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm not gonna purposely shoot a Jake anymore, just because of you know, I want yeah. him to grow up being a dog gobbler. But, but you, but 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 these people on social media beating somebody up because they shot a Jake. I you know, know. what? Dude? This guy might not have but two days to hunt in his whole turkey or, hunting. Or what if it's his first time going out? Like, my daughters it, it, both it, it shot jakes last year. They It, it was like, yeah. who cares? It doesn't matter. You know what? Did they Were they able to go out and enjoy the hunt and watch the sunrise and be in the environment and by which God created the earth? Mm-hmm. And you know what? At that end of, at the end of time, that made a memory. And that memory can never be taken away from you. Exactly. And I don't give a crap what the animal is. And whether you shoot one or not is irrelevant at that point. But don't judge someone because they chose to do something. And that, that that's not what you're going to do. You know what? You you be your own person and keep your opinion to yourself. Yep. And I think, that's the, I think that's the problem that we have with social media, Jim. That that I, I like social media for a lot of aspects. I think it's wonderful for spreading the word and spreading the the uh, the environment by which you and I choose to live in, and, 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 so and just people. generally having and just generally having a community of like-minded people. That's what I like about social media. Like you and I. Right. We're friends on Instagram, you know. I, I get to see, I get to see the stuff you post. You get to see the stuff we, we post. You live in Missouri. I live in Idaho. We have different types of cultural things and and uh, landscapes we live in. But but in the, the the grand scheme of things, you might as well be my neighbor because we have the same shared interests. And so that's what I love about it, you know. So, right. but what I hate yeah, about but, it is but, where but you were going. But keep it that way. But keep exactly. it that way. Yeah. Right. Don't be judgmental because somebody doesn't have the same opinion that you do. Exactly. Because we're all born with our own. What? Uh, hopefully, we're all born with our different mindsets, and we all can make our own judgment calls. Yep. And we have our own way of thinking. And I mean, the world is not necessarily that way, 
anymore. Uh, we, we're all, you know, we've gone to a society where if, uh, certain news stations don't say something, then, then, you know, it, it's not the gospel, yep. which, so we, we've, we've learned not to think for ourselves and we need to learn to think for ourselves and social media can, can take that away from us. You know, we can, we can stop thinking for ourselves and go, Oh, well, uh, Joe Blow said we shouldn't do this. So I, I, you know, because he said that I probably shouldn't do that. Well, you know what? That's, that's an opinion. Mm-hmm. Go do what you enjoy doing and don't worry about somebody else's opinion. And that's what, that's what kept me from posting. I mean, I post a lot of stuff with my son. Uh, I post a lot of stuff family wise. I don't post a lot of stuff on my own about myself because I get tired of the judgmental ways that people think it's like, you know, and uh, I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not in this world. No, exactly. But what sucks about that, Chris, sorry if I cut you off there. I think we have a little bit of a delay here. Uh, No, but, but what sucks about you being hesitant to post stuff is, is the people that just genuinely want to be your friend and, and experience things in your life and, and have you experience things in their life like you and I, like, I want to see what you post, man. And I don't care if it's a doe and I don't care if it's a 200 class whitetail. I, I, I don't, I just want to see, Hey, what's Chris up to? What, what's he got going on? What, what, Oh man, he got a great buck this year. Look at that sucker. You know, that's, that's where it's fun. But it, of course, just the nature of, of humans, it, the shit turns ugly. Like, like you said, Oh, Man, if Fox News didn't say it, it didn't happen, or if or, or MSNBC didn't say it, it didn't happen. Yeah, you know, we we get into these these echo chambers and in these channels, this this way of thinking where we're like in these channels, and and we think everything should be done one way, and if it's not done the way that we think it should be, you're wrong, and that is what is wrong. That is what people don't realize. They're loud ass opinions, and they're loud. Um, proclamation of what is right and what is wrong because it's their opinion is what turns me off with people. And, and that's, I mean, I just, I worry about what it's going to do to the future of hunting. I worry about what it's going to do to humanity. Um, you know, all the, all the stuff, you know, we, we all act like there's not this higher, this higher power, this designer of who we are as people. And, and like, it's just this narcissistic thing where, well, look at me, look at me, look at me. Oh, you did it differently than I did. So you're an asshole. That's the kind of stuff that bothers me. Yep. You, you hit nail on the head, the narcissistic way that people think. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's it's like prevalent. Yep. It's like, you know what? Be your own man. Have your own opinion and keep it to yourself. And if you really have something to say, make it private. Yeah. Or make it positive. You know, you don't have to be an asshole. Make them, hey, that doe is going to, that, that doe is going to eat great, man. That, that little, uh, if you knew how many does I killed a year, you'd laugh. Oh, I know I wouldn't because I'd do it too. I love it. I love shooting the doe. There ain't nothing makes well, me you more guys, happy. Well, you guys in the Midwest, you guys get like six tags out there, man. I don't, we don't have that. I wish, I wish we did. Uh, when in, I was, when I was in North in Carolina, Missouri, they gave you six deer tags. tags. What's that? In Missouri, we get unlimited tags with a boat. Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah, I'd be doing all that the too. Does we want to see. Now, obviously you can't, I mean, you know, you can't eat but so many or give so many away. It's just part yeah. of it. I mean, you're not going to do it. But 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it used to be you could do the same thing with a gun, but we had EHD hit several times and oh, that kind of yeah, yeah. thing, you know. And you know, and, and, I, and I get that. I totally get that. You know, I mean, and 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 the other thing, like 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 management of of, of game. I really wish that the Missouri De- Department of Conservation would understand that we do have a problem with coons. We do have a problem with predation when it comes to turkeys. We need to take the, we need to take and go to a one bird limit for our three week season and, and, and and slow some things down and get this population built back up where we can bring these young hunters in and they have an opportunity to have a lot of turkeys to hunt. Yeah. And you know, because that's the way that you grow. That's the the way that you grow. Well, you grow hunters period because they got to start somewhere, whether it's squirrel, whether it's whatever, but they got us, they got to start somewhere. And if they're going to, if they're going to turkey hunt, we need to get this population built back up. We need to have, you know, so why not take a little school of thought from some of these other states like Kansas that said, Hey, our turkey population's hurting. We're going to cut it from two birds to one bird. I see. Gonna, I don't. Did, do did Kansas things. actually do that, or because I know my yeah. uh, my buddy Chris Rowe, he's he's always talking about like their turkey numbers are way down in in comparison. So he flat out stopped booking. He'll he'll guide turkey hunters out on the on the property he's managing, and so he cut it way down. And you know because him and I and and Guy, uh, we've been doing this series called Is Hunting Conservation, and where hunting is not conservation is where we're like okay. We, we understand the turkey population is struggling. It's way down. The predation is way up. But, hey, I still want two turkey tags. I still want to go kill two turkeys. Well, at that point, is, is hunting actually conservation at that point? If you're wiping out more turkeys than the landscape can handle, that's where it becomes a problem. And that's where we have to find this balance. You know, why, yep. doesn't, why doesn't the state, if the turkey population is struggling, why doesn't the state say, okay, we're backing everybody back to one tag, and we're gonna do a thirty-five dollar bounty on all coyotes that you can uh, take out and bring bring in. You know, you know, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I think that that maybe I do simplify that too much. But I, I think that when you when you're talking about the bureaucratic red tape of how how the wheels spin in in government programs through like fish and game agencies and legislation and and whatnot. Yeah, the muddy the, or the water can get really muddy really fast, and so I, I hope they do that. Well, for you, man. you know what? It should not be about the monetary value of things. It should be about exactly. the value of, of the animal. But that's just and, not and how the what, world works, and so it's, right. it becomes a problem, yeah. right? It it does. It certainly does become a problem, and I think that we as hunters should use our voices to continue to try to be better at being stewards of the land. Yeah. Like, you like know? you were saying, instead of if the state does offer two turkey tags and you know that turkey numbers are way down, instead of getting two turkey tags and killing two turkeys, just kill one. Like I would that, do that in what, a heartbeat. That's what I do in Missouri. Yeah. I mean, when I buy my turkey tags in Missouri, I automatically, and I bought them the other day, we don't open until Monday, but I bought them the other day. I get two turkey tags, but I can I look you in the t- in the eye, Jim, and I have not killed but one turkey every year for the last three years, and this will be my fourth year, and I won't shoot but one turkey. 
yeah. here in Missouri. Because you're because a conservationist. I feel like that. Could I go kill two turkeys? Yeah. And sure do you I want could. to? Do you want to go to kill two turkeys? Hell yeah. No, but, I don't. I don't. I, I can kill a turkey here. I'll well, you Kansas. you don't because of the numbers, right? Yes, if, exactly. If, if the numbers were better, you would want to go kill two turkeys. Two turkeys. Absolutely. If, yeah. if we had the numbers that we did in the eighties, yeah, sure, I'd go shoot a freaking, I'd just go shoot another turkey and wouldn't think nothing about it. You know, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I would not think if I had the thing about it. But I'm at the point in my life where, do I need to shoot two turkeys? No. Do I want to? No. Do I think it's better for the turkey population not to? Yes. Yeah. So as a conservationist, as what I consider a true hunter. It's not about the numbers that I put on the ground. It's about what I do as a hunter to support the sport that I love. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if, if I'm not supporting what I love to do and trying to give back as much as I take, then I feel like I'm not doing due diligence to what I love and what I grew up doing. Um, Things were different when I was younger. You know, I grew up when we didn't have a lot of deer. Yeah. You know, I mean, we killed deer, but we didn't have a lot of deer. Yep. We, we had you know, the same issue. What, you know, when I, killed a, when I killed a buck, it was like, shoot, man, there was like, hell, it was a celebration at the parish residence, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it, the way it was. And and now, you know, my dad, you know, it's funny, my, my dad going to be 84 years old in July, and he'll... He'll call me up. And he goes, "Hey, how'd you do?" I'm like, eh, "I killed a pretty good one. I got, I got to come over and look at him. I got him hanging in the tree out here. He's, he's 150 inch deer." He'll come over and he'll be like, "Yeah, that's a good deer." He's used to it. Yeah, he he's got he's gotten to he's gotten to the point where it's like, "Yeah, well, that's, that's pretty common. You 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 usually kill a deer <laughs> like that." That's but, great, man. But, but I'm like, but that's really not common, Dad. That's really not. It's a big deal. Like, no, I don't think, I don't think it, I've never killed a but we've gotten to the point where, you know, social media and TV has gotten us to the point where if a deer isn't a 160 inch deer or a turkey doesn't have inch and a half spurs, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a deal. It's like, wait a minute. Why do we hunt? Yeah, it, it is why, taking... Why do we do this? Are we doing this because we want to be heroes? Or are we doing this because we love the sport? And it's taking it from, Chris, like where there there is a new definition of what trophy hunting is nowadays versus what it was back in the 80s and 90s. You know, trophy yeah. hunting was a thing of like there, there was some like endearment to a trophy hunter back then um, where today it's like this nasty word. Oh, he's a trophy hunter, even though there's a lot of conservational benefits that come out of being a trophy hunter and the, and the connotation or the, the, how people view what the term trophy hunting means. Now trophy hunting means, you know, somebody who just goes and kills a big animal and it goes to, you know, it's like wanton waste kind of thing where, you know, they're just killing the animal for the sake of killing and putting a trophy on the wall. No, that's not actually what a trophy hunting is. That's not what trophy hunting is in Africa. That's not what trophy hunting was here in North America. Uh, And and so now the the, the social media has, has really helped feed this lie of what trophy hunting is, when in reality, 
trophy hunting in its true definition is is a conservation tool and and but we don't yeah. see it that way kill old animals. Yeah. exactly kill the old mature animals so anyway chris let's yep. do this man um I, I, I was, I think we started, we, we started talking about that, but if you ever want to come to North Idaho and chase some mountain whitetail, uh, hit me up, man. I, I'd love to have you out here. We, I, I, I would love to do it. I've now, I've never hunted whitetails in Idaho. I've, I've killed elk in Idaho yeah. and I've, I've, I've killed turkeys in Idaho, but I've, I've never hunted a white, a whitetail in Idaho. So oh, that man. would be awesome. We have, we, because it's so steep and brushy here, we have some absolute monsters uh, up up here, and they're so difficult to get to. They're so difficult to. Well, for me, I I feel like I feel like if 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 we went out you and I together, and you had my knowledge of the terrain and your knowledge of whitetail, <laughs> we we could be pretty dangerous. Uh, and so I, lo- I like that. I like that thought. That's a good thought. Yeah, I like man. Thought. I, I'll I'll take it. Like uh, any any time you want to. So. Uh, real quick, let me run through some. Uh, I, I just want to mention a couple of sponsors, guys, real quick. Hoffman Boots. Check out Hoffman Boots at hoffmanboots.com. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10, all caps lock, for 10% off the best hunting mountain boots that you will ever find in your life. And I'm not kidding you. Again, that is hoffmanboots.com. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10. Uh, the other one, guys, we just partnered with Silencer Central. Uh, they make the suppressor, you know, silencers for all sorts of different weapons. Uh, what I really like about these guys, if you guys go back and listen to the episode I had with the CEO, Brandon Maddox, he really explains this in detail as to why they are so beneficial. But if you want to um, basically disorient the sound as to where these animals are, or when, for example, you're hunting two coyotes, you've got two coyotes coming in. And you want to try to get both of them, you've got an AR-15. You put a suppressor on that, and you shoot the first coyote. That second coyote is not going to know where that sound just came from. And you have a really good shot at getting that second one. That's what I personally really like about these. Uh, but the Silencer Central, in particular, really make the process easy. You could ship the rifle or gun, you know, weapon right to them. They do the licensing for you. They uh, they they go. They take care of everything. All you have to do is pay the bill, and you can even do it's like an in-house financing on this. So it's a really cool program, guys. Check it out. Uh, tell them you heard it on the Western Huntsman podcast. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, but it's a great company. And last but not least. What is a turkey episode without mentioning Phelps? I've got the box call right here. Um, really good products over there. I've got uh, Chris Parrish here on the line that is, is one of the, the makers of some of these turkey calls for Phelps. And you guys know I'm, I'm a huge fan of Phelps game calls, so always go check them out. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10 and get your turkey calls. Folks, quit messing around. Turkey season is here. So, Chris, thanks for bearing with me for a minute. Absolutely. I would Absolutely. love to get you back on the show to talk whitetail, and then we're going to line it up so that we go whitetail hunting here in the mountains in North Idaho. Um, I really appreciate you joining me on this episode. That was a really fun discussion. Dirk said that I would like you, uh, and that, that, that was an understatement. <laughs> well, good. That's good. <laughs> I really, good. really appreciate it, brother. Uh, stick on the line for just a minute and tell everybody where they can find you, by the way, on social media, whatever. Uh, you can go to Instagram. Uh, I think it's, uh, I, I can't even remember. I got it right here. Chris it's underscore parish underscore Turkey. Yep. yep. Oh, folks listening. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. So just click on that and you can follow Chris. Yep. And then you can go to, uh, 
Chris Parrish on Facebook. Um, so that, that, that's easy to find. Um, and, um, you know, obviously you can, if somebody needs to reach me, they can get a hold of Jason or Dirk and they've got my contact information as well. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I just, uh, man, I love to hunt. I love to be out the outdoors and, uh, I just wish everybody a lot of good luck and be safe out there and be careful and support the sport that we love. Perfect, Dan. I love it. Well, thanks again for joining me. And uh, again, we're going to do this again, brother, for sure. Sounds good, man. I'm looking forward to it. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on